We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, it's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group, and he's a midday producer over at 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's going on, man? Not a lot. Hanging out. I got cats circling me like I'm chum in the water because they want to eat as per usual. Uh, you should feed them, right? Isn't well, that the I will, move? I will after the pod. Okay. Because I don't want them getting the idea that anytime I walk into this room, it means that they're going to eat. So I try oh, and trick them by hanging out in the room for a while and then feeding them. Interesting. Yeah. Is it is it true with cats like it is for humans that you probably shouldn't eat like just before bed? You should give yourself some time to digest before, before you rest? Uh, with cats, they're always right before bed. Okay, fair enough. So um, we are here again. We're recording this on a Wednesday night to preview Saturday's 49ers divisional round playoff game at Levi's Stadium against the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, we spoke a little bit about the matchup earlier this week in an episode we recorded on Monday. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and check that one out. We uh, we talk about our initial thoughts from the Vikings win over the New Orleans Saints and setting up this matchup that the 49ers have now in their first ever playoff game at Levi's Stadium. 
And really, for the vast majority of the roster, it's going to be the first playoff game for a lot of these guys, including Jimmy Garoppolo as starting quarterback, Kyle Shanahan as head coach. Uh, and I think it's shaping up to be a really interesting game. I know the six and a half point spread would indicate that the 49ers are pretty significant favorites. And, and like we said in, in the pod last week, they certainly deserve it. But it, it's shaping up to be a much more competitive game, uh, I think, than a lot of people would expect. So, um, Kyle, now that you've had a little bit of time to, to think about the game, you, you've heard the discussion on your talk radio show uh, where, are you, where are you standing now with how you feel about this uh, this 49ers-Vikings game on Saturday? I'm right about where I was on on Monday. I think that okay, these good. are two... <laughs> Wait, what? I said, okay, good. Glad I asked the question. Well, no, it's just the more, the more I, I... Well, because at first, I thought, okay, it's prisoner of the moment stuff. Just watch them beat the Saints. But... Uh, as I've as I've watched a little bit more and I've I've taken a little bit deeper dive into the numbers, like these are two really evenly matched teams, and I think that the 49ers are better than the Vikings, but uh, the cliche that I I hate the most that I'm gonna use here: styles make fights, and I I think that the way these two teams go about trying to win football games are very, very similar. And I think that that's going to lead to a kind of grinded out style of game uh, where, where the Niners kind of have their hands full all Saturday afternoon. Yeah. I, I think the Vikings are a really interesting matchup because they're sort of built to take on a team like, like the 49ers. And and what's interesting, you mentioned styles is even style is, the on offense Niners and Vikings are very similar. The numbers for Jimmy Garoppolo and Kirk Cousins are very similar, basically across the board. Garoppolo might be a little bit more explosive in terms of his raw yardage numbers. Um, and he has, a, a, I think, one more touchdown pass. But Cousins is more judicious in terms of efficiency because he doesn't turn the ball over as much. I think he has fewer than half of uh, the interceptions that Garoppolo threw this year. But just looking at the construction of of these teams the 49ers and Vikings I think they're the only two teams in the NFC that run the ball more than they pass uh which plays to their defense they both run the the you know Gary Kubiak style outside zone running scheme they're heavy play action teams um and I just find it fascinating that like you know we can we're, we're not going to do the Kirk Cousins or Jimmy Garoppolo thing because I think we did that a little bit earlier in the week but just the fact that the offense is basically the same style. And I think the 49ers run a more nuanced version of it because I think they have more dynamic personnel uh, in terms of, you know, guys who can do more things. George, the, you know, the Vikings don't have George Kittle. They have Kyle Rudolph, who's a very good uh, red zone target as a tight end, but he's not, you know, a yards after the catch monster like Kittle is. They don't have a receiver like Debo Samuel who can run the ball. But in terms of, you know, being pure receivers, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs are probably better right now as a combination than Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Samuel. But we should say that 
uh, Thielen was he came down with an ankle injury during practice on Wednesday and was listed as a limited participant. Uh, so we'll have to see how significant that is. I don't think the coaching staff or Thielen addressed the media today after that injury. And it, and it sounds like that's going to happen on Thursday before the Vikings trek out to the Bay Area. Um, but, you know, I, like you said, like styles make fights. I think defensively, they're two very different schemes. I think Mike Zimmer is a lot more multiple and can, you know, has he he has personnel that's been in that scheme for a long time and talking to some of the guys in the locker room today who played in the 2018 season opener against Minnesota they said like yeah well we watched on tape this year and and you know going back into games last year there's not a whole lot of difference in what the Vikings do because their personnel has been so consistent you know Eric Kendricks has been there for a few years Harrison Smith has been there for a while uh Daniil Hunter Everson Griffin these are all guys who have been with the Vikings for multiple seasons. So it's not necessarily a team in transition and like all the 49ers really might have been. Yeah, and they're all really good, uh, with maybe with the exception at cornerback. So um, just looking at it, like points per game, the 49ers are sec- second, the Vikings are eighth. You look at opponents' points per game, the 49ers are eighth at 19.4. The Vikings are at 18.9, tied for fifth. Uh, total defense, the Niners have the edge in yardage there, 281.8. The Vikings are allowing 341.6. Um, the sacks are tied. Uh, interceptions go to the Vikings. They have 17, the 49ers have 12. And, uh, I mean, it's it's just, it's, it's interesting because, like, both teams defend tight ends well, right? Both right. teams uh, – can rush the passer because they have a pair of really good defensive ends and D Ford's looks like he's going to be back this week. So, um, yeah, I, I just think one of the interesting things about this game is that these teams are, are almost mirror images of each other. The Niners are, are clearly better evident by the record and the fact that they're the number one seed and they'll have the obvious advantage because they are the home team coming off a bye and they're super rested and, and probably as healthy as they've been really since like three, uh, which is another fascinating thing about this game. But what, what do you think about just the, the similarities between these two teams? I think it's going to make it really difficult on the 49ers. Uh, it's really the first game they've played all year against a team that's, I guess, I guess the Ravens a little bit too, that's really built to stop the kind of uh, bruising attack that that makes the 49ers effective on, on both sides of the ball. So I'm... I'm fascinated by the Kyle Shanahan versus Mike Zimmer matchup. Um, and I'm interested to see how how much being healthy helps the 49ers. Because that's really the biggest the biggest key is is Quan Alexander gonna gonna start and play all the snaps at will? Does he play Sam? Uh, the Niners played a ton of base defense last year against Minnesota. Mark and Zacha was on the field. Uh, for like almost for over forty percent of the snaps, I think is the starting Sam linebacker. Uh, so I think that that we see more of that from the Forty Niners. Um, yeah, I, I I had a bunch of people ask me how I'm feeling or what I'm feeling about this game, and I I, I really have no idea because I don't know which Minnesota team is going to show up. Because if you told me the Forty ers won by one, I would believe you, but while we talk about how similar they are and, and how tough of a matchup the Vikings might be for the 49ers, 
I would also believe you if you told me the 49ers won 38 to 3. Right. Like that wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I just think like we've seen the 49ers come out, particularly at home, and play sluggish, right? And and that was during the regular season, so it's completely different. And it's obviously entirely different circumstances. But like against Pittsburgh in the home opener, you know, that was supposed to be a big game. You have a 2-0 and team coming home, playing at home for the first time. Jimmy Garoppolo turns the ball over a bunch of times. The offense has five turnovers overall. The 49ers still win that game because the defense... Uh, keeps the Steelers out of the end zone. The 49ers fall behind early to multiple scores to Arizona in November as they shambled fairly easily, and they did have an impressive comeback in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, they lost to Atlanta. Atlanta at least 49ers hadn't seen on tape from them all year. And so the point is essentially that, you know, these things can can be weird in the NFL. Like the, a lot of weird things happen. There isn't that much of a difference between a team on any given Sunday, right? Like everybody's very talented. It's just really all about how you're playing, when you're playing a certain team. And I think where the 49ers really have the biggest advantage is that they are coming off a bye and the Vikings are traveling uh, two-thirds of the way across the country, essentially, short week having New Orleans on Sunday to turn around and play the 49ers on Saturday. Meanwhile, like the Niners, as much talk as, you know, we as much as we've talked about the 49ers injuries throughout the entire season and, you know, they, they were without guys for, for varying lengths of time and I, I think they ended up putting 16 guys on injured reserve throughout the year. The Niners are as healthy as they've been since the season started. Yeah. Um, and that is with getting Quan Alexander back. That's with getting uh, Jaquaski Tart back and, and D Ford back. And all these guys are probably coming back now, maybe with the exception of Alexander, uh, slower than maybe than than they would have expected. Like the team took more caution with them, giving them more time to recover from their injuries. I think particularly in D Ford's case. If he absolutely had to play, if it was do or die against Seattle in week 17, and that was a very high stakes game for what it was, but it, it wasn't like loser go or winner go home. Right. So, um, I think Ford got a couple extra weeks to deal with his hamstring. I think Jaquaski Tart was probably in a similar boat. He was practicing before that Seahawks game and the team decided to hold him out. So, Really, the only starter, quote-unquote starter, the 49ers are not going to have for certain on, on Saturday is going to be nose tackle DJ Jones, who was lost for the year with a high ankle sprain. And in the grand scheme of things, not having your nose tackle, yeah, well, that hurts against a good running team, uh, particularly one that features Dalvin Cook in, in Minnesota. That's going to hurt you a little bit, but you were able to bring in Earl Mitchell, who's familiar with his surroundings. It's a different scheme the 49ers are running up front. Talk to Mitchell a little bit about it this week, and and it is a little bit more attacking. It's less read and react. The alignments are obviously a little bit different. There's more wide nine stuff, all that stuff we've talked about a lot. But this is a very healthy version of the 49ers. And so if we're talking about the 49ers maybe coming out sluggish and allowing the Vikings to sort of get into their chest a little bit, I think there's significantly a significantly smaller chance of that happening because they are going to be rested. They are going to be healthy. 
and it's going to be the first ever playoff game for them in Levi's Stadium. Not that Levi's is some fortress, but I think 49ers fans have shown out pretty well this whole season and players have talked about it, you know, whether it's at home or on the road, that fans have been really loud and and the knock on Levi's is has been that the atmosphere hasn't been good. Well, the team hasn't been good. This is far and away the best yep. team the 49ers have had at Levi's. And I'm expecting the atmosphere to be really good. So maybe it ends up being one of those buzzsaw games. Like, you know, going into that Packers game in in late November, we didn't know how that game was going to go, how that game was going to go because we the Niners were, you know, matched. Anyway, long story short. The uh, the 49 it's not a it's not a regular season game in the sense of the circumstances and the way the roster is constructed and the 49ers have put themselves in a position now to be healthy and getting the bye was really really important and so it's another way of saying too that it would be a massive disappointment if the 49ers didn't come out and play well and I'm not expecting that just because there is going to be so much emotion in the building uh, and so much is going to be on the line. Yeah, I think if they can avoid getting punched in the mouth in the first 10 minutes or so, I think they'll be fine. But if you start letting the wheels fall off and you get behind 10, 13, 14, nothing in a playoff game where it's win or go home and then everything kind of tightens up, that's that's the situation that you don't really know how a team will respond until they're in it. So I think that's something the Niners really need to avoid. And... I, I I also think that the Vikings and, and Kirk Cousins are so good on play action and so effective in with that that it would behoove the 49ers to get ahead early because if I, on the other hand, I think if the Niners get up 10, 13, 14 points, I think they might roll. Yeah, and that's what happened in that Packers game too. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I think the the worst kind of game that the 49ers could have, like, I I think it would be better for them to either fall behind uh, by a score or two to force them to play with a little bit of urgency or get way up. I think the worst thing they could do is like go up by, you know, four points, be up by four in the third quarter and then kind of do this thing where they have to, you know, they want to be aggressive, but uh, you know, you don't want to be too aggressive. You want to be conservative, but still get first downs. Like those, those moments where it's very tense and you're like, well, we're, we're kind of letting them hang around, but we also don't want to make a major mistake and turn like when you're playing like that, I feel like that's the worst version of the 49ers in, in particularly in home games this year when they've sort of played, like gotten up early, took their foot off the gas in the second and third quarters. And then all of a sudden they have to play, uh, again, they have to give more effort and, and expend more energy than than they expected, and it's just kind of this close game where where the the road team is hanging around. I think if the 49ers would have more verve, more edge if they did fall behind. Not that I'm saying they should, or I, I just like I don't know. There's there's just been this one like the Atlanta game was just odd because the Falcons basically were in it the whole time right like the Niners never really put their put the nail through their heart right like so anyway I, I think one one disadvantage of being at home is that uneasiness of like all right we're up we should be winning by more but now we've punted three times in a row and they just made it a one score game after we were up by 13 earlier like let's go guys like that's that's what's a little bit weird when you're playing a home game in the playoffs 
when the stakes are so high. Whereas on the road, it's like, there's nothing to lose. Like you're, it's, it's you against everybody in the building and that edge is just built in automatically. But when you have that lull of like hitting a, hitting the middle of the game where you're not playing well and, and you turn it over, you punt or whatever. Um, I, I think the 49ers want to avoid that scenario. They either want to get up big or, or just if they do have to play from behind, I, I don't like, I would feel confident about the 49ers coming back in the second half if they did have to play from behind because I think they could do enough to slow down Minnesota's offense in a way that allows them to get back in the game. If that makes any sense. Does that make any sense? Did what I say just make any sense? Yes. Or should we cut it out? Yes. No. <laughs> what you're saying is the 49ers should have lost to the Seahawks so they could have gone on the road. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I, but I, no, I do I, think I get, the Niners I get, are a better road team this no, year. And I, and, I, and I get what you're saying. I, I think that home field advantage is is more about not having to take a cross country flight, not having to yeah. play last week, and and we see in D Ford playing and Jaquaski Tart playing and Quan Alexander coming back, just how big that bye week was. While the Vikings were were in a battle last week and then having to fly back to Minnesota and then fly to San Francisco on a short week, like that's tough. That's really, really tough. And in the regular season we would be looking at this and going, wow, this is a huge advantage for the 49ers. And I think that rings true in the postseason as well. Yeah. I, I just, you, you can look at uh, the Niners road slate and all the games they played. Like they didn't have a bad performance on the road this year. They lost one road game and it was in Baltimore in a game that they played pretty well in to where they were in position to beat the best team in the league. Like they they were completely locked in in every single road game, and obviously they had the Seahawks game, uh, they had the Saints game. Um, I just think they were a better road team this year, and and that's not to say I'm expecting them to lose in you know this week or next week, no matter who they play. I think obviously as the number one seed, they're the best seed in the conference, or the best team in the conference. But I don't know. Like it, there's like you know the expression lemon booty. Like that's a thing that only happens when you're at home. Like there's a, there's a different kind of pressure when things aren't going your way at home versus on the road where I think it's easier to come back on the road in a scenario like that than, than, uh, just instantly turn up the energy at home where, you know, fans are getting restless and everyone's like, wow, we went through this whole season at 13 and three and now we're about to lose to the Vikings. You know, when you have that feeling like early in the fourth quarter because somebody fumbles or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, almost, this is this is I, not direct analysis of the game. It's just speculation on on feelings. But I also uh, I also wonder along those same lines since we're speculating about feelings. I also <laughs> <laughs> I, I I am exhausted. Your guy is tired. By the way, I also I also think that it's almost beneficial for the Niners that they get a Vikings team coming off a win in New Orleans because it's like oh sh- shoot like that's that's a pretty great win because I'm guessing the Niners were probably ready to face either the, the Vikings or Seahawks and probably the Seahawks. Uh, but I almost feel like they can avoid some of that uh, kind of hangover, I guess, just based on the fact that this Vikings team just beat a very good uh, New Orleans club. Right. All right, so let's let's dive into some of the matchups to watch. We're going to do some matchups and we're going to do some over-unders. Um, over for, for for the game. So I think the most important one 
really is the Vikings defensive ends versus the 49ers tackles. Daniil Hunter, Everson Griffin, uh, and first Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey. So Daniil Hunter has had back-to-back seasons with 14 and a half sacks. He is as physically gifted and imposing, really, I think, as, as any pass rusher in the league. And uh, I think the question with him sometimes might be consistency. Like, there are people who believe that he would be the best pass rusher in the NFL, um, but there are consistency issues. But that being said, like, looking at his game log right now, he had a sack against Seattle three against Detroit, one against the Chargers, one against the Packers, and a sack and a half against the Saints. Um, If I do math really quick, four, six, seven and a half sacks in his last five games. Uh, So he's really hot right now. And and Joe Staley didn't have the best season, of course, because he was injured throughout a lot of it starting in week two, but he's talked about it a few different times lately that this is the best he's felt all season. He's back into a rhythm now. He clearly rebounded week 17 against Jadavian Clowney and basically shut him out. I know Clowney was also hurt, but given the way Staley really struggled coming back off the leg injury, he said the leg injury wasn't fully healed. It led to you know his back overcompensating and his back mostly you know essentially giving out on him midway through through that game he broke his he broke and uh, dislocated his finger that required surgery to cause him to miss the next few games anyway Staley's back healthy he's played four games in a row now and uh, and it looks like he's playing really well Everson Griffin is another player who obviously very, very good and uh, little known fact about Everson Griffin uh, I heard this talking to some some of the guys this week that he has kind of the Mike Tyson voice so he's this like big hulking defensive end, uh, 6'3", 273 pounds, uh, and a guy who has 74 and a half sacks throughout his career. And he talks like Mike Tyson, like the real high squeaky voice type Hilarious. thing. And he talks a lot of shit. Like he's, he's definitely one of those dudes who is talking during the whole game. And <laughs> some of the guys are kind of taken aback when when like they hear his voice for the first time given that he's like this <laughs> physical monstrous defensive end who uh who has a Mike Tyson voice. <laughs> That's awesome. I I really enjoy that juxtaposition. Um and it doesn't surprise me. Like if I was that good at a thing and I exercised as much as Everson Griffin does, I would probably talk a lot of <laughs> shit too. So, good on him. And he's really good. He's a really good player. The Saints starting tackles hadn't a lot of sack all year. Um, and then, as you said, him and Daniel Hunter got three combined uh, against against New Orleans. And they are the type of players who can destroy a game single-handedly. I don't know if you remember uh, last year when the Saints, uh, not the Saints, but the Vikings and Rams played on Thursday Night Football. And mm-hmm. Todd Gurley broke a run around the left side. And then Daniel Hunter the defensive end ran down Todd Gurley from behind. Uh, It was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. And it just went to show how crazy of an athlete he is. And I I think that if any player was going to have a Jadavian Clowney like game against, against Staley in the 49ers uh, going back to that week 10 game against Seattle, it's going to be a player like Hunter. I think he's really Um, really good. 
that sound you heard was me reacting to uh, to Neil Hunter's Spider Graph. Oh yes, I'm Remember so happy. Spider Graphs are back. Yeah. Uh, uh, if you're new to the a... pod, if you're new to the pod and missed draft season, Chris Biederman is Captain Spider Graph come <laughs> NFL draft time. Uh, his Spider Graph is insane. Yeah, so, dude. His 10-yard split was 1.58 seconds. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, he's he's 6'5", 252 pounds at the combine. He's probably bigger than that now. Um, 4.57 in the 40, 96 percentile. That's good. Uh, 36.5-inch vert, 84th. Broad jump, 130 inches, 98 percentile. Three-cone <laughs> dr- th- three drill. He was 6'9", six, 5". Six, <laughs> this is <laughs> so, totally outrageous as uh yeah as a defensive end um yeah he's uh he's a buff guy he's he's he works super jacked he exercises um okay do you have any thoughts about how staley and mcglinchy match up against him they 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 struggled a little bit in minnesota but uh when they played in early in, in 2018 but uh that was i mean that was a road game that was uh that was when Quentin Richardson was still on the Vikings and he was completely disgusting that game on the inside and the 49ers guards weren't as good as they are now. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's one of those things where you have to, you have to do throw anything you can. That's different at those guys. Like I I don't care if you have the two best tackles in the league, like blocking them one-on-one is not super easy. So I, I think we see the Niners, Maybe try and do some different stuff. Get those guys' eyes uh, looking somewhere other than the quarterback. Uh, a lot of play action. Um, take advantage of them being a little bit over aggressive. Um, a lot of misdirection. I, I I think we really see guys like Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle and Debo Samuel highlighted uh, just because of all the different things that they can do as blockers and pass catchers and, and even and even runners. So. I I think those three guys are going to play a huge role in keeping Griffin and uh, and Hunter from just pinning their ears back and going. Because if they do that, the the Niners are going to have a really difficult time stopping them. Yeah, and the uh, the other point that's probably worth making about this is the 49ers played a significant stretch earlier in the season without both of their starting tackles, so they do have practice in playing while trying to negate an edge rush. Right. Like whether that's getting the ball out quickly, hitting the hitting um, plays inside uh, screens, different things like that to to get guys, um, you know, going the wrong direction. I I think the 49ers are 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 equipped to to handle Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter. But I would I would still expect them to uh, to to make a couple plays. It's just going to be up to Jimmy Garoppolo to hold on to the ball and and not fumble if and when he he does get hit by those guys. Um, so the next matchup we should talk about uh, 49ers receivers versus Vikings corners because this is probably the biggest discrepancy, maybe aside from the Niners defensive line against the Vikings offensive line. But in terms of the 49ers offense versus the Vikings defense, this is really the only clear advantage that the 49ers have, in my opinion. Um, because you look at, you know, Xavier Rhodes is not the player that he once was. Yep. Trey, Trey Waynes hasn't been particularly good. Um, you're just talking about Mackenzie you know, Alexander, their starting slot corner is out. He just had yeah. a knee procedure. 
Yeah, so the 49ers should have a pretty significant advantage on the outside. Um, so they're going to need Emmanuel Sanders to be really good in this game, I think. This this might be one of those games where Sanders is is featured heavily and, and you also get Debo Samuel um, in motion, get the ball in his hands somehow. I, I would imagine we're going to see a few slants from Debo in this one to, to get him going. I, I think the Vikings are, are going to devote a lot of their resources to slowing George Kittle. And one of the keys for the 49ers, just not only in this game, but in the playoffs overall, should they, should they win Saturday is going to be figuring out ways to be explosive, um, convert key third downs when other teams do like send multiple guys at Kittle, because you know, that's going to happen. So we we talked about it a little bit earlier in the week, and and I wrote about it for the Sacramento Bee, the story published uh, today on on Wednesday. Emmanuel Sanders, like the passing game with Emmanuel Sanders was completely different. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo had a 90.8 quarterback rating before uh, Emmanuel Sanders arrived in that trade. He had seven touchdowns in seven games after the trade. Garoppolo had a 108.1 passer rating. His yards per attempt was up a full yard, basically. Um, and he threw 20 touchdown passes in 10 games. So his touchdown rate went from one per game to two per game, which is sizable. And uh, and the 49ers offense just overall really took off. So Garoppolo was, I mean, you can make a case, maybe aside from some of the interceptions, but you can make a case that since the Sanders trade over the final 10 games, Garoppolo was one of the five best quarterbacks. Um, point being, you're going to need that similar type of production from Sanders to, to beat the Vikings because I think the Vikings are going to be really good up front and tough to play in the middle of the field. Two players that that will help them immensely, I think, in, in pass coverage are Eric Kendricks, who is an all-pro this year, their, their middle linebacker, and then Harrison Smith, who we talked about a little bit earlier. I think those two guys, if there's any duo that's going to be able to match up a little bit with George Kittle, I think it's those two guys. And I think that Smith is the kind of player who can single-handedly force Garoppolo into a mistake or two. And that's what I'm really watching for out of the Vikings secondary uh, is what Harrison Smith is able to do from that safety spot. And then what Eric Kendricks does in the middle of the field, covering George Kittle um, and what the Vikings decide to do with him. If they try and help out those corners, which, which you mentioned are, are really banged up and not playing at a high level. Or if they, um, or if they just try and uh, try and slow down Kittle and say make anybody else beat us, I, I, that's that's one of the things that I'm I'm going to be watching really closely. Yeah, and Anthony Harris, who really became a full time starter, I guess for the first time this year, he did start nine games last year, but he started all fourteen games he played in this year. He had six interceptions to lead the NFL. Um, and I hadn't heard of Anthony Harris until he picked off Drew Brees at the end of the first half in in that game on Sunday. Uh, he's a really good player and you know, six interceptions, 11 pass breakups. Um, the, the, the Vikings defense was already good. (laughs) They were already really good up the middle. And then to just have this, this other guy come out of nowhere and lead the NFL in picks, um, is a really interesting development for them. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see how that goes, and and we know George Kittle is going to play well because even if he's not getting targets, he's still doing, 
yeoman's work in the running game. I, I'm just curious to see how the outside of the, the outside weapons for, for San Francisco responds against those corners that we mentioned that aren't particularly good. Um, how about Kyle Shanahan, or I guess, well, okay, frame it the way you wanted to frame it. You want to do Zimmer versus Robert Sala. So yeah, because you... a lot of because a lot of what we talked about earlier is like the Niners offense and the Vikings offense are pretty similar. Right. And not not man for man, but but for the most part, uh they run a similar scheme. They produce at a at a relatively similar rate. Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers are are almost identical. Uh what I think this comes down to is whether Robert Sala and the 49ers defense can slow down the Vikings enough times because I don't think the Niners are going to be able to rack up 30 plus points. I think points are going to be pretty difficult to come by on Saturday and the Niners over the last few weeks weren't great. And I, I I understand that that injuries played a role in that. I understand that the quality of quarterback that they played went way up, uh, but their pass rush productivity was not there over the last five weeks and how well uh, Sala adjusts and how well getting Jaquaski Tart and Quan Alexander and D Ford back, how much, how close can the 49ers get to that elite level that they were playing at early in the year where they were giving up 130 passing yards per game or whatever ridiculous number it was? Uh, that's That's going to be the single biggest... Uh, thing to watch because I think that's really the biggest discrepancy between these two teams is is Mike Zimmer as a defensive schemer versus Robert Sala uh, as a as a defensive schemer just because of the experience level uh, and what we've seen Zimmer be able to do and and really um, what Sala's done while he's done a really nice job uh like i said late late in the year they weren't they weren't as great as they were early in the year so that's one of the concerns for me from the 49er standpoint yeah and and one thing i i think i don't know how much we've hit on this throughout the season but um talking to players and you know with robert sala interviewing for the browns job i think that's the only head coaching interview that he's going to get this off season and and I don't know if he's going to get the Browns job. I, I would assume based on some of the other names out there, including the Vikings offensive coordinator, Kevin Stefanski, um, it doesn't sound like Sala's going to get the Browns job, so he'll be back next year. But the reason why I, I bring that up is because I, I sort of poked around a little bit on, on you know, who, who guys on the team would think would be the most likely replacement for Robert Sala. And the clear answer was Joe Woods. Um, the secondary coach who was the hmm. Broncos coordinator the last couple years. And when you ask Kyle Shanahan and, and Robert Sala about the impact of Joe Woods when, you know, they're in a news conference setting, they'll say, yeah, he's he's been helpful. He's a veteran coach. Um, you know, he, he knows what he's doing as a passing game coordinator, as a secondary guy. But, you know, Joe Woods really revamped what the 49ers do from a coverage standpoint, and I think from a from a disguise standpoint. And that's one of the major differences for the 49ers defense this year. There's a lot of talk about the pass rush and the wide nine, and that's all part of it too. But forcing quarterbacks to to think a little bit more um, 
post-snap rather than having an understanding of, all right, the Niners are probably in cover three here. All right, they're probably in man here. They're single high here, which is what which was the case basically all throughout last year. Now the 49ers are a whole lot more multiple in terms of their coverages. And a lot of those principles are still the same, but they're just harder to figure out as you're going against it. And a lot of that has to do with, with the addition of Joe Woods. So, um, and that's something that Zimmer's really good at. Like the Vikings in terms of disguising coverages and, and all of those things are, are very good at that. And that's, that's what happens when you have Zimmer, who I think is in his sixth year there. Like they have a ton of continuity, both, player wise and and um or personnel wise and coaching staff wise so i do think uh that's interesting should we go now to over-unders are you still there yes please my cat was my cat was you probably heard it there for a minute was scratching on on their scratching chair and so i muted myself so that wasn't in the background of the entire podcast Okay, good. Yeah, because yeah, that was a really awesome point on my part, and to have have a a cat scratch. Thank you. Just yep. drown it out would have been a catastrophe. Yep. Um, a cat catastrophe. Nice, dude. <laughs> All right, over under one and a half touchdown passes for Jimmy Garoppolo. What do you think? Over for all the things we just said. I think that they're going to need to rely on their quarterback to. Uh, let the receive. I think they're going to need to rely on their receivers to to beat Minnesota's corners one on one, and then it's up to Garoppolo to find them. I I think if they're going to get in the end zone, uh, they're going to need to do it on Garoppolo's right arm. I think he goes over one and a half touchdowns. So Garoppolo threw touchdown passes in thirteen games this year, which means there were three games that he threw zero touchdown passes in, um, at the Rams and then at Washington in that rain game. Uh, back in week six and seven and then in week 17 in Seattle and I don't even know that Garoppolo attempted a pass to the end zone that in in that game in Seattle um I, the Niners scored all their touchdowns on the ground but yeah I I think I think over is probably reasonable because I think the Vikings are going to have the same approach that the 49ers are going to have which is stop the run first and force the quarterback to beat you um, and put yourself in pass rushing situations so Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter can can make plays on third down. And I think Garoppolo is going to respond pretty well uh, because I do believe Kyle Shanahan is going to have a good plan. So the fact that Garoppolo hasn't thrown multiple touchdown passes in a game since uh, December 8th against the Saints when he had four makes me think that we're due for a multiple touchdown performance from from Garoppolo uh, by law of averages, he's due, which is just a horrible way to approach things. <laughs> but that's that's my gut feeling on this. He's d- is is that a, a pro football focus analytic? <laughs> yes. Um, How due is Garoppolo? Extremely expected expected dueness. That's not a that's that's a terrible. All right. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> points allowed by the 49ers. Uh, we have the over/under at 17. Uh, do we want to just make it 17 and a half so we can so we don't have to worry about the push? The push. Here? Yeah. Um. Sure. 17 and a half. You go first. Okay, I'll go under. Oh, um, an upset. Because yeah, because I do think that like the when I 
initially saw the matchup, that would be the Vikings and kind of being in the prisoner of the moment, thinking about what they did on Sunday in New Orleans. Like, yeah, there's a chance that the Vikings do what the Giants did and just go on this crazy run. Um, you know, the the Giants teams that won Super Bowls is like wild card teams. Like every once in a while, there are those wild card teams that just kind of come out of nowhere and, and like go to the Super Bowl. And I do think the Vikings are talented enough to maybe be that team. But, you know, being around the 49ers and, and just the fact that they are so healthy, that they're getting these guys back on defense. Um, D Ford's going to be healthy and we know exactly what a healthy D Ford does for the 49ers pass rush. Uh, an extra bye week for Nick Bosa, who really needed one, uh, against a Vikings offensive line that isn't all that great. Like, I'm kind of leaning towards another really good defensive performance, uh, where the 49ers sort of snap back, not to not to that level where they allowed you know fewer than like a hundred net yards in four straight games or whatever that ridiculous streak was earlier in the season against bad quarterbacks, but like. I could see them holding Minnesota to like 13 points on Saturday. Um, and that's not to say that that Minnesota couldn't do something similar. It's, I still think the 49ers are going to win, but I, I think under 17, maybe if there's a little bit of rain, although it sounds like the rain is, is less likely now. There was a 20% chance the last time I looked this morning. Um, but yeah, I'll go under because I think there's going to be so much emotion in Levi's Stadium. And the defense is going to play at a high level because all their guys are going to be back and uh, and healthy. I think they go over 17 and a half. Okay. Because they scored more than 17 points in all but three games this year. And it just... I... I, I it's two touchdowns and two field goals... Um, in a game where maybe they get an early touchdown. I, I, I just, I think Garoppolo turns it over once. Uh, I, I like him to go over 17 and a half, maybe not by much. I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, they get to 18 or, or something like that. I, but I, I think over 17 and a half sounds, sounds right. Um, for, for Minnesota. Yeah. I'm okay, trying so to do. I'm trying to do some math here. Minnesota played five playoff teams this year. Uh, they played the uh, Packers twice. Uh, they scored 26 points in those two games total. Um, and then they scored 23 at the Chiefs. Um, they scored 30 at the Seahawks, and they scored 38 at home against Philly. Yeah, give me over 17 and a half. Okay, that's what I'm going with. Um, okay, so how about 100 receiving yards for George Kittle? Under, because I think Minnesota is going to make a concerted effort to make sure he doesn't beat them. But uh, I, I think that somebody on the 49ers goes over 100 receiving yards uh, just due to the fact that Minnesota is going to expend so many resources trying to slow down the Niners tight end. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think that player is going to be Emmanuel Sanders. Ooh, okay. Um, you think he's feeling yeah, better I, after the bye week? Yeah, the Vikings. The Vikings are one of the best teams in the league at defending tight ends. Like we mentioned, they only allowed one touchdown to a tight end all season. Um, I I spent the last couple seconds trying to look up their total stats for his tight ends, but Pro Football Reference is not agreeing uh, with what I'm trying to do here. So. Um, 
anyway, the Vikings are good against tight ends. I do think Kittle's going to get, uh, you know, he's going to get his fair share of targets. I, I just see him having something, you know, like five catches, nine targets, and, uh, you know, 68 yards and maybe a touchdown or, or something like that. I think the Niners' big advantage, like we said, is is on the outside at, at receiver against their cornerbacks. Um, how about 125 total rushing yards for the 49ers as a team? 125. So keep in mind that the Niners average, what, 140 a game? and they. I don't gone- think they're going to be able to run the ball very effectively. Go, give me Give me under. And I think most of them probably come late in the game as they try and burn the clock. So the Niners have gone fewer than 125 yards rushing in exactly half their games, which is funny. I like the under here. Okay. Um, what let's talk you? about the running game a little bit because I'm I'm curious to see what the bye week does for some of these guys because I wrote about Raheem Mostert this week. Um, a lot of other people have written about Raheem Mostert and just the fact that he scored rushing touchdowns in the last six games. No 49ers player has done that since Derek Lavelle in 1995, and he's just the third player in, in team history to do that. And he leads the NFL in yards per carry. At, I think it's 5.84. Um, Mostert's been very good. One of the reasons why Mostert has been good is because he's gotten a lot of opportunities, in part because Tevin Coleman just hasn't run with much juice during the second half of the season, and Matt Breida's been in and out of the lineup with ankle injuries. So I'm expecting Coleman and Breida maybe to be a bit more healthy, and I'm wondering if one of Kyle Shanahan's aces in the hole is you know, getting Matt Breida a bunch of carries again because you know we know how good a healthy Matt Breida can be and how much um he impacts the running game as a whole I mean you remember like Breida's biggest game this year was the Cleveland game and the Niners ran for 275 yards in that one um he was also really good in the Bengals game week two and the Niners had their second most second highest rushing total with 259 yards I just wonder if the bye week and some time off to evaluate the offense and the fact that Raheem Mostert was so successful and that when, you know, he might get a lot of attention, not that, you know, Breed and Mostert aren't going to be on the field at the same time. I mean, you might be able to get creative that way, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if Matt Breed got some burn and, uh, and had a good game, I guess is my point. But I, I too, am going to take the under because I think Minnesota's defense is going to try really hard to stop the run. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Um, 75 yards for Dalvin Cook on the ground. Uh, I should preface this by saying, by by going over some of Dalvin Cook's numbers. Please. So, So Dalvin Cook had over 100 yards in five of his first eight games. Um. Since then, he hasn't averaged over four yards per carry, uh, I mean, since November, or since the the calendar changed. He had 4.26 yards per carry against Washington back October 24th. Since then, 71 yards on 21 carries, 97 yards on 26 carries. He did have a really nice game, uh, particularly in the first half against New Orleans, but he had 84 of his 94 yards in the first half. And he had, what, 12 carries for 10 yards or something like that in the second. Um, So Dalvin Cook is really good. 
and he is essentially the engine of the offense because of all the play action stuff they do that puts Kirk Cousins in, in favorable situations. But the raw production hasn't really been there. And so in terms of, you know, the over under being 75, he hasn't he had 94 on Sunday after two weeks off because he was dealing with an injury late in the regular season. But before that, he hadn't had 75 yards since uh, November 10th. Wow. So I'm going to take the under on Dalvin Cook. I'm going over because I think they're just going to try and run the hell out of him. It, he may get 76 yards on 29 carries, uh, but I, I, I think they're trying. They're aiming for 25 to 30 carries for him, and if if they do that, he's going over 75. Yeah, his carry total in New Orleans was his season high. It was 28 attempts. He had never had more than 25 previously this year, and that was back in that was October 20th uh, when he had 142 yards on 25 carries, almost six yards per carry. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if 28, if his if his heaviest workload of the season, uh, followed up by a short week coming to San Francisco, I, I do wonder what that bounce back is going to look like for him, particularly since he was dealing with injuries late in the year. Yeah, so. That'll be that'll be really important. Like it's it's hard for me to see the Vikings winning um, or being really close without a big game from Dalvin Cook. Yeah, and there simply haven't been that many of them. Yep. Um, any more? You have any more over unders we should hit? Do you want to do a score over prediction? over or under? Uh, what's a good number? Six and a half catches for Emmanuel Sanders. Oh, boy. Well, I already said he's going to have over 100 yards, so I'll go over. Okay, that's fair. I'll say eight. I'll say, I'll say he has like uh, eight catches, like 130 yards. Okay, over or under four and a half catches for Debo? Over or under. I'll go under on catches. I'll say he has three or four, but I'll also say he has three runs. So he gets like seven touches. Okay, seven touches. I like that. Um, Half an interception for Jimmy Garoppolo. Oof. Um, it feels like Minnesota is going to bait him into one. I'm going to go over. Jimmy had one, two, three, four, five, six. He had six games without picks. That's not great. Yeah. And it just, so he, it, he was it, intercepted it, 10 times in 10 games this year. And it feels like Zimmer, they, they picked him off three times last year. It feels like Zimmer is just going to have, there's going to be something up his sleeve that Garoppolo hasn't seen. And he's going to throw one of those interceptions just like right into somebody's chest where everybody wonders what he was looking at. Yeah. And I think that's just going to be uh, the kind of wrinkles that teams have in the postseason that, that maybe they didn't put on tape. So I think over half a, an interception for Garoppolo as well. Yeah, I will give Jimmy credit, though. He didn't really have any of those throws in the biggest games. Yeah, that's I mean, he very didn't have- true. His interception in New Orleans was off Sanders' hand. It wasn't a perfect throw, yeah. but it wasn't one of it those. Was, it like, was very catchable. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't one of his weird ones. Um, and he was he was basically nails in the Seahawks game. Um, I don't. I mean, did, there were there were not many instances, if any, that come to my head right now. Maybe I'm wrong, but that Seahawks defenders even got their hands on passes. At, no, at the 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 biggest flaws in in his game against Seattle was he just kind of missed a couple open guys, but never, never in a, in a dangerous area. What about half a sack for Nick Bosa? Does Nick Bosa get a yeah, sack? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go over. 
What if I put it at one and a half? Mm. Because two sacks is a lot. Like you're trying to get even money okay. on both sides. Yeah, two sacks and and he's going to the podium after the game. Um, yeah. I would go under one and a half, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was involved in multiple sacks. Right. Right. Yeah. Like if he had two half sacks and he, you know, he he got there with somebody else. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Bosa, particularly going against Pat Elfline, also an Ohio State player. Um, I mean, he'll be Bosa will be fired up regardless, and he'll play well. But I think the bye week really benefited him, and uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, Nick Bosa's the best guy in the field. Like I've, that, right. that could happen. I've got one more over under for you, and then we can do predictions and get out of here because I'm tired. Okay. Yeah. Um. Over or under, I'm trying to think if I want to do a number or a percentage. Um, over or under, 70% of the snaps played for Quan Alexander. I'll go over. You think he plays a lot? Yeah, like, I don't think he would play if they were uncomfortable with the idea of him being out there for 100% of the snaps. Because that's what he was playing when he was healthy. was 100%. Right. That's fair. Okay. So I don't think it – I mean, it might be something where he gets a series off or two, you know, as he as he gets his win back in the first half. Yeah, sure. Um, but I would be shocked if he, like, sat more than a couple series. I asked Robert Sala that exact question today, and he was like, well – Over Drake under Green 70% of the really snaps? Well. No, I didn't. Oh. But I, I asked him <laughs> – I asked him, is it like, is, does he need to, do you need to feel comfortable with him playing a hundred percent of the snaps to allow him to play in the game? And he was like, no, we, we feel comfortable with Drake Greenlaw and you know, we don't want to, we're not going to, you know, publicly, we're not going to put all that pressure on him, but in my head, like good luck in Quan Alexander out of the game. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm going to go over there. Okay. Any more? No, I think that's time. It. Yeah, okay. prediction. So I think in my mailbag that I wrote for the Sacramento Bee this week, my prediction was seventeen thirteen. Um, and I think that might be pretty consistent with all the over unders we just did. Um, but that was very early in the week, and that was before I had an idea about how healthy the 49ers were gonna be. So I am gonna go twenty four fourteen forty ers um, and I think it's going to be a game that's probably closer than that score would indicate. There might be like, it might be a three point game and they get like a late touchdown. Um, but I think it's going to be a tough game. I think the Vikings are going to make it extremely difficult on the 49ers offense. Um, but ultimately I think the Niners defense is, is going to revert to what it was when it was playing at a really high level. And, uh, and that's ultimately going to be the reason they win the game. How about you? What I say earlier, 24, 23, I'm sticking with that. I think it's a really, really close game. A nail biter. Yeah. And I'm good off these, uh, these like last second games. I just, I, and again, I think, I think what's happening here is, is I'm, being kind of a prisoner of the moment with the Vikings. I mean, the fact of the matter is they went 10 and six um, and they needed overtime to beat the saints and the saints probably should have won that game. Yeah. Um, we had Adam rank on 
at 95.7. 3 and 13, uh, Adam today, Rank? Wednesday. That's him. Yeah, he, he opened the interview. He was like, first of all, I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was, he's a super cool dude. Um, and we we talked a lot to him about, you know, you thought they were going to go 3 and 13, like what went right for them, like what was different. Uh, so it was, it was really interesting, but he was, he started talking about some of the other playoff games and he said that Steve Weish was in the building in new Orleans and said there was just a weird vibe like new Orleans thought like the, there wasn't a playoff intensity. I uh, can see that. Yeah. Because like they went 13 and three, they were supposed to get a one or two seed and instead they're playing the six seed at home on wildcard weekend uh, and and they kind of got punched in the mouth a little bit. I don't foresee that happening with the Niners. And like I said earlier, if the Niners wind up winning this game by like 25 points, that wouldn't shock me in the least. I just, I, I really think the Vikings are really well coached and, and very talented. And I think they're going to give the Niners a pretty good battle. Yeah. The interesting thing about that is like, we see that happen with college bowl teams when they're like, Oh, we're snubbed from the bowl we wanted. And then they come out and play like shit in like their, in their worst bowl. That might've been what happened with the saints. And maybe that's just throwing us off completely. Yeah. Um, All right. So we both have the 49ers winning. Uh, You have it being a nail biter. I'm, I'm willing to admit that I am tired of close games. It makes my life much more difficult as somebody who has to write on deadline. I know the fans don't give a shit about any of that, but um, I wouldn't mind having my game story done with with a few minutes left in the fourth quarter and uh, and my grades all ready to go, so I don't have to I don't have to type furiously and risk missing press conferences because uh, it's a last second game. The last five games have come down to the last minute, and I'm uh, I've had my fill. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's not. As as a football fan, it's really enthralling, but as as people who need to have posts done and up, it is really stressful. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, all right. That's all we got. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you find your Blue Wire podcast. We have a million of them. Um, and uh, the network's growing, and, and that's thanks to you guys who are all listening and downloading and and participating with our sponsors and, and purchasing things. We, we greatly appreciate it. So we will talk to you guys uh, early next week. They play on Saturday, so maybe we might record a Sunday night podcast depending on how things go. We'll have to see. Either way, there's going to be a pod for you early next week, reviewing the game, talking about how things went if there is an nfc title game uh what that matchup is going to be like and uh we will talk to you guys then enjoy the game everybody have fun be safe uh consume your beverages responsibly